Thank you for checking out Value Driven Life. I'm your host, Coach Chris McMahon, and you are in for a mini episode. So I'm going to try to cover a topic that comes up pretty often uh, in the nutrition space. And it's like how to stick to your diet while going out to eat, right? So how do we do this? Because it tends to be tricky for some folks. Like you usually end up sticking to like some super, super hardcore plan all week right? And then you go out to eat with your family and it seems like you get double of everything or you finish what's on other people's plates or you get double dessert. And it's really because usually we've like restricted quite a bit. So here are the two problems. Problem number one is that you use the phrase you were good all week. Like how many times have you actually sat there and told yourself, oh, I was good all week. So I deserve to kick back and enjoy yourself. Like being good all week usually leads into the idea of being kind of restrictive with your food, right? So for example, if you're eating like, let's say 1200 calories a day and avoiding specific foods, the likelihood of you overconsuming while eating out will go up. So instead of like categorizing foods as good or bad, something really helpful that you can begin to look at is this idea of good, better, best, right? We have good, better, best. Everything exists on a spectrum fitness, nutrition, life, there's a spectrum there. It's not so black and white. So you might consider switching things up. So instead of enjoying the foods that you save for the weekend, only for the weekend, have them on a random Wednesday. So doing this can teach you that specific foods hold no moral standings, and you'll be less likely to overdo it on the guac and chips. So an example would be good would be a double quarter pounder with fries and a McFlurry on a Saturday. That sounds delicious. Uh, a better example would be a double quarter pounder with fries and a Diet Coke on a Wednesday. Okay. Best example, making a cheeseburger and fries at home and having a Diet Coke on a Monday, right? Each of these allows you to have the thing, uh, but on random days, and it does slowly help you break out of that mindset. Now, problem number two is the healthy choice you're having still has calories. Like everything has calories. They don't exist in a bubble. Uh, one thing that you might have isn't better than the other thing because it's calories are spent. No, calories are, they're neutral. They just what they are, right? So we can look at it this way. If you go out to eat somewhere and you try to get something healthy off the menu, let's say like a Southwest chicken bowl from Applebee's. That was one of the things that popped up when I was looking for some research for this episode. And according to the menu, there's about 820 calories in this Southwest chicken bowl. So it's almost like a thousand calorie dish. Uh, and it's a bowl. It's got your protein in it. It's got 54 grams of protein, 89 grams of carbs, and 30 grams of fat. Now, something can consider in this are variables such as the amount of oil that someone has used to cooking the food, the serving size given on that particular day and the dressing. So it is like it, it can be considered a healthy option. But you could easily split it into two meals. Um, because it seems like the healthy option someone, you know, can quickly eat that bowl and be like, ah, I ordered the best thing on the menu. And one meal doesn't ruin all your progress, right? It doesn't it can't that's, that's not how it works. But sometimes this leads you to embracing the fuck it diet. So problem number three is the fuck it moment. It's like just because you have that one meal that doesn't fit into this bubble, you suddenly go down this rabbit hole and say, I've ruined all my progress. And because I've ruined all of it, it doesn't matter anymore. Right? 
And this is in part due to diet culture thriving on all-or-nothing thinking. Yes, I talk a lot about weight loss. However, I'm not telling you to beat yourself up when you have a meal with friends and family. That's the opposite. I'm not telling you that you are a terrible person if your day doesn't adhere to the plan. I'm not telling you that there's no point in trying to lose weight if that's your goal. I am telling you that you will make mistakes and your job is to learn something and make adjustments. Does that mean avoid eating out? Nope. Does that mean believing that calories don't exist? Nope. Does that mean that this podcast is going to help you? You're darn tootin'. It will. So here, here, here's one thing that you can look at. Calories aren't 100% accurate, right? This is number one. Calories aren't 100% accurate. The truth is that the calories listed on menus aren't going to be very accurate. They'll be somewhat accurate, but not 100% accurate. And it's impossible to be accurate because there's so many factors at play. Like I mentioned a few earlier, but, you know, you shouldn't panic. Because when you cook at home, you might notice that it's kind of tough to measure everything out. Now, imagine you're cooking for an entire restaurant, right? Things won't be accurately weighed. Oil and butter will be used, and it's usually eyeballed. And it's okay. You should still enjoy the meal. And look, here's a fantastic option. And I learned this from uh, Coach Sam Forger. Uh, He was a previous guest on the show. Please go back and listen to his episode. It's so good. I'll link to it in the show notes. You could do this concept of like itemizing and assessing, right? So you look at each component of the meal on its own. So each little individual part, you would look it up on your tracking app if you are tracking. Then you would see the average entry for the part of the dish that you are tracking, right? You take the average, you put it, input it, and then once you added everything up, you round up by 20%. That 20% really makes sure that you are accounting for the extra oil, the sauce, or any human error in the kitchen. So if, like the example Sam gave was, if you look at Atlantic salmon, you might see it's like 10 to 15 entries ranging from 160 to 340 calories, but most of them say for four ounces, right? It's about 240. And you feel like there's about eight ounces on your plate based on your tracking experience, right? You can eyeball maybe about the palm of your hand. That's about eight ounces. In this scenario, you would double the entry, right? 240 calories times two, that's 480 calories. And then you round up by 20%, like 480 times 1.2. Now you have your estimate 576 calories, right? The other option that's not as accurate as itemizing and assessing would be bulk assessing. Like you look your meal up on the tracking app, then you check the average entry for the dish, and then you round up by 20%. Great example would be if you're having a burrito, you're not going to pick out every individual piece of bean, every rice kernel. That's not realistic, and I wouldn't want someone to do that. So you could, again, look it up, find the average, round up by 20%. Something else. So this is number two, right? So number one was calories aren't going to be accurate. So here's how you can make it a little more accurate. And Number two is to check the menu ahead of time. Like I tell my clients all the time to look at the menu in advance because looking at the menu in advance makes it easier to put things into perspective and to plan the rest of your meals for the day. While the menu won't be 100% accurate, you can log it as a placeholder. Like you can put it there so you're just aware of how many calories you have for the rest of the day for your particular goal. 
I try to have clients work off like a, a plate template when ordering, right? I talk about this a lot. It's called a balanced plate. That's when you have 50% fruits and vegetables, 25% carb, 25% protein, and a thumb of fat. Now, this is a framework you could use when structuring your meals. And this might mean getting something like your sauce or your dressing on the side, which can be a game changer in a fat loss phase. It's something to be aware of and you can experiment with as you plan your meals. Number three, eating a little less before going. Now, this sounds a little easy, but it can be challenging if you go into your meal without being aware of what you're going to have, right? That, that, that is important. You need to know what you're going to have. And it does take more than one meal to ruin any progress you've made thus far. I hope you're understanding this at this point. And yes, the scale will be up after eating out, but that has more to do with water retention, which is freaking normal. One more time. Water retention is normal. So please don't fret chia pet. Okay. Now you're listening. I'm scratching my beard. I know you probably don't believe me, so I'm going to explain this in more detail. To lose weight, someone needs to be in a calorie deficit, correct? So let's say you were able to listen to my whole episode that I did on macro tracking, or you read my article on how to calculate your macros, and you were able to determine your daily calorie intake should be around 1,800 calories per day, all right? You would then want to look at your weekly calorie intake. So that would be 1,800 times seven, which gives you 12,600 calories you can eat in a day, uh, eat in a week to be in your calorie deficit. Now, you can split your calories however you would like Monday through Sunday, so long as you end up at the 12,600, give or take 200 plus or minus calories. That puts you in a weekly deficit, which matters for fat loss. So if your meal is higher in calories, no biggie. You have a few options. If you know in advance what day of the week you're going out to eat, you will let it be a big meal and you will adjust your intake during the day. That might mean having a smaller breakfast or lunch. It could mean just skipping the snack you usually have before dinner. It depends on who you are and what works best for your lifestyle. If you're going out on a Friday or Saturday, adjust your calories to have higher calorie days on those days. Like... For example, Monday through Thursday, you could have uh, calories that are 1,720 calories, right? Monday, Wednesday, uh, Thursday, and Friday and Saturday, you have calories that are 2,000 calories. And then Sunday, you go back to your 1,720 calories. That gives you total calories of uh, 1,200 12,600, right? Sorry, doing math. Um, so the technical term for this is calorie cycling. It's a tool someone can use uh, to give themselves wiggle room. And I don't have clients do this unless they are comfortable with tracking. And I've learned to understand weight fluctuations, right? That's a big part of it. You got, you got to be comfortable with tracking. You got to be comfortable with weight fluctuations. And if you're not using calorie tracking, if you're not doing any of this, None of the above technically would be applicable for you, and that's okay. You don't have to do that, right? So we've run down quite a few thus far. But this one, this next one, is something that you can do, whether you're tracking or not. It's fork down between bites. So while calories matter, it's essential to consider your ability to practice specific eating skills that will help improve hunger and fullness cues. 
right? These skills shift from calorie-focused approach, like all the steps I mentioned above, to a more mindful eating approach. So the basic gist of mindful eating is to just slow the fuck down. Seriously, just slow down. Enjoy the meal that's in front of you. You're not being bad for ordering something off the menu that you just want to have. I told you to knock it off, so don't be a lame Jane, all right? Slow down and enjoy. <laughs> just try to take a bite of your food, chew it, swallow it, savor it. Don't put another bite in your gosh darn mouth until you finish the last bite, okay? Okay? I know this can be challenging, uh, especially if it's something highly palatable. So you could try placing your fork down between bites or the food that you're eating between bites. You could try taking a sip of water between bites. Try looking up from your food and talking with the person sitting across from you. All of the above will help you start to slow down and make the meal more enjoyable. Another variation of this that you can try, another option for you, is to match the pace of the slowest eater, right? So maybe you're more of a visual learner and me telling you to put your fork down between bites makes you want to give me a swift kick in the booty. So... You could just try to match the pace of the slowest eater at the table. This is one of my favorite skills to assign to a weight loss client who has young kids, right? It takes my son roughly about 45 minutes to eat a single slice of pizza. So if I match his pace, I'm going to be eating slower. So matching the pace of the slowest eater allows you to check in and acknowledge how fast you're eating. If your dinner date is working on their first bites and you're already gosh darn ready to order dessert, it indicates you need to slow down. Okay, so let's say you're alone, right? Chris, I'm alone. I get it. I get it. Not everyone's eating with people. I eat alone most of the day. <laughs> so what can you do? You could perform a mid-meal check-in, right? So about halfway through the meal, pause and ask yourself the following. Am I getting full? How fast am I eating? Can I slow down? These are three short questions that can shift the trajectory of your meal. You might find you are full and truly in love with the taste. And when you're chasing the taste, it's easier to ignore your fullness. That's why having a check-in can be helpful. Next tip, organize your plate. I want you to try and shift things around on your plate. Focus on your vegetables and protein. Start with vegetables and protein because by prioritizing fiber and protein, you will focus on the nutrient-dense portion of your plate. And once you finish, enjoy the carb portion of your plate. It's not that carbohydrates are the enemy. No, no, no. Carbohydrates are not bad whatsoever. It just so happens that they're much easier to overconsume when you order the fries before enjoying the rest of your meal. That's just what happens. And then you're hungry a little bit later and you usually go get some more food. It's just, it's just a part of it. So if we focus on the protein, which takes longer to digest, and the fiber, which takes longer to digest, then you'll have a better chance of recognizing when you're actually getting full when you're having that carbohydrate. So next one, boxing up half when you sit down. Most restaurants serve double portions, especially if the meal is over like a thousand calories. You could just assume it's a double, maybe even a triple portion sometimes. So if you're going out, you could try any of the other options I mentioned earlier, but if they sound too hard or you forget about them, you could just ask for a to-go box when you order. Then take half your plate and save it for another meal. And if that seems easy peasy, well, that's because it is. The next one is something that I think is really important, and it falls under this category of obstacle planning. This is called horizon guidelines. So 
you already know what happens when you go out to eat. You do. You know what happens when you have a few beers with friends. You know how you react to each of those situations. So planning ahead really helps. And it actually puts you in the driver's seat, which makes self-efficacy improve, which means you're more likely to follow through on it. And it's not about creating rules because that tends to make someone feel like a failure if things don't go according to plan. Like my client, John, he's a weight loss client that I have. And he was having a hard time on the weekends. There are a lot of family parties, drinks with friends, and huge meals out. And a few weeks ago, we were chatting on a check-in call, which is what I do with all of my clients for uh, online nutrition coaching. And we have these check-in calls every two weeks. And when we're on these calls, we really dial in. And one of the things that he was able to bring up and really zone in on is that he noticed a few similar patterns, like eating really quickly, eating off people's plates, his kids' plates, and having uh, one too many beers uh, when going out. So he decided he would work on setting a horizon guideline. Whenever he went out to eat or went to a family party, he would have one plate and one dessert. They were his. They were not anyone else's. His own plate, his own dessert, and those would be the things he would stick to. And then he would try to have a two-drink max when going out to parties or going out to eat, right? So after setting these horizon guidelines, he noticed that he would wake up on Sunday with more energy, and it was easier to kick off Monday. So when he tried these guidelines, sometimes it worked better than others. Like, that's normal, right? Sometimes it's going to work better than others. So in our calls, when we would have our follow-up check-in calls, we really focused on pinpointing what he could actually adjust, and then he would try again. And nutrition is an experiment, and it requires adjustments along the way, and it's not a one-size-fits-all experiment. experience. You know, there's just there's more to it. And the final one, really important to just remember, is that one meal doesn't destroy your progress. I've said this several times throughout this episode, but it doesn't. Going out to eat with friends and family is special, and if you're trying to lose weight, it doesn't mean ordering lettuce and baked chicken, Right? You have to adjust as needed, right? So some examples from above, weekly calories, being aware of that and adjusting for higher calorie days, looking at the menu ahead of time and picking what you want, practicing mindful eating, setting horizon guidelines. What works for one person might not work for you, and that's okay. Try different options until you find what fits best for your weight loss journey and adjust. So I'm going to run down these eight again. Ready? Itemizing and assessing, right? itemizing and assessing or bulk assessing and remembering that calories aren't 100 accurate number two check the menu ahead of time number three eating a little less before going aka calorie cycling being aware of that number four forks down between bites number five matching the pace of the slowest eater number six organizing your plate number seven boxing up half when you sit down and number eight horizon guidelines. Now, if you found these episode, uh, if you found these tips helpful, I'm super glad. Please apply it. Reach out to me on social media. Let me know if it's worked for you, or you can do me a solid and leave a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you're listening to this. I really, really appreciate it. And with that, I hope you go do amazing things because you can.